honestly, my stuff has been a while. It's been too long. Way too long. <laughs> and now the whole world's different. I know. We're all in <laughs> we're all in quarantine. You can't see us, but we're both wearing face masks. <laughs> and we're six feet apart. Yes. And our interview today, we did something I've never done before. It was a Skype interview. That was kind of exciting. Yeah, it was great. So, yeah, today we have us. Dr. Cindy Noyce came to, well, she didn't come to talk to us. We she called, called in. <laughs> she called in. Called in to really, we had some questions about uh, COVID and how it's affecting us and really excited to about what she had to say. I am too. And I think that just her perspective and her calm demeanor, you know, is as great as a leader in this whole pandemic. And it's also exciting to talk to her because I think that as somebody in infectious disease, it's probably pretty exciting to be in the middle of a pandemic, which is a really different perspective yeah. and helps ameliorate some fears. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know this has been challenging for me. I remember the first day I kind of like sunk in and then every day it feels like I something new is evolving in my head and how I understand this and emotionally and physically it's a it's something we've never had before and and I do have to say Leslie if there's anybody I would want to do it with it's you oh I love it yeah, exactly <laughs> I know it's true I agree and I feel really lucky I feel really lucky to have have you in my pod of six feeders <laughs> <laughs> absolutely we um anyway but let's uh let's hear our interview with Cindy and I hope everybody's well absolutely everybody take care of themselves mind and body yep so how are you uh, I'm okay yeah, I'm okay good, good. day so, by day we got to just take it day by day right I know one day at a time so Cindy I when I was growing up I was you know I read the hot zone I was and my dream was to be an infectious disease doctor now you're like a famous person like all around the world. <laughs> I think it's more infamous than famous. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So. so I don't know if you know about our podcast or not, but this is a podcast that Steph and I inherited, and it's for nursing, by nursing, kind of about nursing. And what we thought we'd do today is just interview you. We don't want to take up too much of your time, obviously, because you're in the middle of a pandemic, which not a lot of people can say in their career, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a few things we wanted just to chat with you about. Sure. So, yeah, our, kind of our first thing is, what do you what would you want people to know about COVID or about the virus? Is there anything that been like, oh, I really would like people to recognize that? Especially us on the, you know, all of us on the front lines at the hospital. Right. And so, um, you know, I think what I'm learning more is that we're all worried about sort of the potential for airborne transmission. Yes. But I think what we're seeing that's really bearing out is that it, it, it appears to be droplet transmission. And mm. what, what that sort of means to me is that, you know, the person who is in close proximity to a sick person who's coughing and sneezing and sort of, you know, generating those droplets with infectious material, that's, that's really the most efficient mode of transmission. I think going along with that, actually, the contamination of that environment in close proximity to that infected patient mm -hmm. is also a high risk for people. And it's interesting to me, I mean, I think we're all, you know, 
really focusing on, you know, protecting our mucous membranes, like right. our our noses, our mouths, our eyes. I think that's incredibly important. But I think what we don't see is the sort of impact of environmental trans transmission when we get this stuff on our hands. And, right. and so I think it's really important, regardless of whatever mask that we're using, it doesn't matter if if we're potentially contaminating our own selves with dirty hands. And so frequent hand hygiene has been critical. And really trying to highlight that for being really strict with hand hygiene, I think, is, is going to be as important, if not more important, than the mask we choose to use. And do you think that, as providers, obviously, that using gloves as well is important? Or do you think that gloves are great, but hand hygiene is even more important? I think, I, you know, I think we, it's like, um, you know, we, we want to use good standard precautions mm. in our, mm -hmm. our basic infection prevention principles really hold true, especially with these types of infections. And so, absolutely, if you're going to get, you know, bodily material on, on your hands, I affectionately call it goo, regardless of where that goo comes from, you know, you should have gloves on. But I wouldn't assume that your hands aren't contaminated when you take those gloves off because we know that, you know, we touch things and sometimes right. we contaminate ourselves taking, taking off our gloves. And then what sort of what myths do you feel like are floating around, if any, that you might want to dispel? Yeah, I, I, I can't actually tell you it's a myth or not. I think right. that there is a lot yeah. of concern, there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of worry about the risk of someone who may not yet have symptoms right. um, or may m have mild symptoms, how infectious they really are. Right. We don't know that yet. And so I don't know how nervous to be about those folks. I think that there have been some studies where they look at familial clusters and there ha were people that were, you know, thought to have no symptoms or thought to have very mild symptoms that transmitted to their family members. We don't know how efficient that transmission is. I think that pe people are looking at that very carefully, but that is a huge source of anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's important to recognize n no one really knows that yet. Yeah. Right. And kind of on that same line, I know I, I feel like there's so much information out there. Like, how do you tease that out? Obviously, like, our go-to is usually like, journals, and right now it feels like I don't know where I should go because there's not a lot of that scientific evidence out there. I mean, there's, I mean, there's people that are, are on the front lines, obviously, but, you know, those kind of rigorous studies because it's just been too soon. Is there certain things that you're looking at that are like, okay, this is credible? Um, credible, yeah. Right. So, you know, that's a really good question. A lot of people are getting their scientific information from the New York Times, Yahoo News, you know, like all those news publications. And I think that those are actually very valuable, but remembering that those are sound bites and that actually trying to go to the source uh, from which that, that sound bite sort of originated, I think is really important. And, and I, I appreciate you guys highlighting that. 
I first, I have a, lot, a bunch of places I go. And so I first go to CDC. And the great and frustrating thing about that CDC website is it changes every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually has very good information, and there are places um, under sort of uh, healthcare workers or healthcare professionals where it has publications, and it has a whole list of sort of the, all the evolving data. Um, and right now, the data that we're seeing is really just epidemiologic data from China, um, you know, some case series, some case reports. Those, those are still important because they're trying to describe the outbreak as it's happening. So mm-hmm. There are actually a number of really good publications. They're all on that list. It's, it's pretty easy to find on the CDC website. The WHO also has situation reports, particularly before sort of COVID hit the U.S., so intensely and was in other places and evolving in other places, that was a really good place to look for information. The WHO has actually very good resources in terms of caring for yourself at home if you have COVID, caring for a loved one at home. You know, they have additional material um, in addition, you know, above and beyond sort of the CDC guidance. So that's another place to look. And I would say my other go-to right now as, you know, we're watching the COVID virus evolve in Vermont is the Vermont Department of Health website. And it's pretty cool because it has sort of COVID activity in Vermont and it shows you the updated number of cases per day, the new cases that tested positive that day out of the total number of tests. It shows you the epidemiologic curve. It also gives a map of where the infections are clustered by county. I think it's just interesting to see. And and they also have lots of links to CDC as well and WHO. So, so those are the sort of three places I go to regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's been a lot of talk about, uh, you know, when we're going to peak here, creating a lot of anxiety too. Like, okay, when is this going to peak here and what does that mean? I think, you know, the honest answer to your question is, no one knows. I mean, I'm not a mathematician, um, so I would never be able to generate those models, but I know that they are looking at various different mathematical models. And again, we know that no model is, is perfect, right? But if we can just get a sense, and if those mathematical models sort of mirror one another closely, you know, maybe that, depending upon what kind of input we're putting in um, to those models, so is it, you know, number of cases per day or how often the number of are doubling, I'm not sure what specific data that they're using, but it's pretty complicated, and I think they're looking to see how the models, you know, sort of match or don't match. Right, the Um, algorithms, yeah. Exactly. And so, and I think that even last night, the state of Vermont actually shared with the state constituents, you know, sort of what they were looking at in terms of the modeling. But, you know, no model is perfect. It's just an estimate so we can kind of brace ourselves. And then sort of bringing it back home to our hospital, um, we know that we have healthcare workers that have tested positive um, Mm -hmm. for the virus. And What's our thought? Is our thought that this is from exposure at work or community exposure or both? You know, (laughs) it's hard to know exactly. For sure, in the beginning, it was community exposure. I'm not sure we can tell for sure, aside of, you know, doing our best to sort of assess when symptoms started and all of these things. But I, I think that there's a fair amount of community exposure. Right. 
you know, and, and again, I think part of it is hard because the stuff we can't see, like the dried secretions or, mm. you know, somebody touched and you can't tell, but then you touch them with your hand. And, you know, I mean, there's so many possible... And then you touch your face and you touch your eyeballs. Right. <laughs> Which we all do, you know. I think I think it's really hard to know. You know, obviously, we want people to be safe and... We know that if people don't feel well, we don't want them to come to work. We want to assess them and make sure we're testing them. And, you know, we've really tried to prioritize that, you know, like that we really want to identify if people are having symptoms. And Mm -hmm. even if they're mild, we're testing them because we recognize it's important to sort of for people to know their status, um, right. particularly right. on the front lines. It makes sure. a big difference. I know that there's been questions about, you know, takeout food and questions about going out, even questions about going outside. Uh, kind of as a as somebody that's seen this evolve, what kind of are your recommendations for those things? I think social distancing works. We also, you know, I think it's important to be able to go outside and take a walk. And so I think as long as, you know, and outside, probably the safest place to be. I think we just (laughs) want to make sure that, you know, people are being mindful of avoiding congregating. And so if you're going out for a run or going out for a walk, I think that's okay. That's healthy. That may keep your brain healthy too, you know what I mean, that medical activity. And so, so I think it's perfectly healthy and reasonable to go outside, but, you know, I wouldn't, go for a run with my 10 best friends. You know what I mean? And being able to... <laughs> Me neither, because I don't really... <laughs> I'd be very like... far behind. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, and I use that as a silly example, but, you know, I yeah. think to be able to keep one's distance is, is really good. And to be able to maintain important connections with people and mm. be creative, you know, so lots of lots of Skyping and FaceTime and, you know, those connections are really important. And I think the social distancing, if we can keep those connections like, you know, remotely um, and protect one another from transmission, I think we're going to see a big difference in terms of of our rates. Again, we're not going to see the fruits of our labor for a couple of weeks yet. Yeah, exactly. Whether or not it's working as well as we hope. Exactly. That's not an immediate fix. It's something that we're going to have to wait weeks to see the benefit from. So being a specialist in infectious disease and being in the middle of a pandemic, is there anything about this that has surprised you or changed your practice? Is there anything where you were like, wow, I I am surprised about my reaction to this, or I'm excited to see this happening? Has any, has any of that happened for you? I mean, you know, I think that infections to me and sort of the pathophysiology, those things are fascinating to me. And, mm. I mean, that may be very perverse, but, you know. Um, oh, I hear you. No, I'm, I feel the same way. <laughs> so I think that that's incredibly interesting. I think the immune response is incredibly interesting. So those are the things that, you know, sort of have really caught my attention and, and sort of pulled me towards you know, the study of infectious disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, I have never practiced telemedicine. I am a person, like, a, I, you know, I'm a clinician. Many of my patients I have, you know, long-term relationships with in terms right. of 
care of them since I was a fellow. And I never prescribe things over the phone. I always see them in person. That's a very different practice right. for me right now. Do you think um, it'll stick in some I, ways? I think in some ways it will stick. You know, maybe there are some novel ways that we can change the practice of medicine that will make more sense for both patients and clinicians, you right. know. I, I, I see that as, as one very interesting change. I, I, four weeks ago, this is not how I practiced medicine. <laughs> and so, <laughs> right. Running um, that, that quickly. Exactly. And, now you are. <laughs> and so, so I think that that is something that I've noticed to be very different. Um, and more will come, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm also pretty impressed that, you know, we've had a dramatic change in basically how we do everything. And there's been yeah. evolving guidance pretty much morning to afternoon. And the resilience of people just Mm-hmm. Trying to roll with those changes, I think, is impressive, and I, I absolutely I agree. think that's how we sort of have to live the next several weeks of our lives. Right. Yeah. Um, we're so glad you're on our side. <laughs> As nurses, it's very comforting. <laughs> Definitely, um, and we really appreciate you, you know, taking the time. I know you must be very busy. And on the okay. flip side of this, we'll give you a high five, but. for now now, oh that's awesome guys hey well thank you for doing this and you know I I think the value of sort of well I I can't say face to face time but I now I I hate email because I think it's a horrible way to communicate and I really think that these kinds of sessions actually are much better emotion is conveyed easier right so makes the communication more in my mind pertinent in some ways yeah and and I've think I value the FaceTime or phone time now with people much more than the dry email communications. And I, I think that that's a much more effective approach. So I, I really applaud you guys. I think this is awesome. Thanks. We Thank love you. it. Yeah. <laughs> and now, so now we know we have a new subscriber to our podcast, too. Oh, there you go. I don't even know how to get a podcast. but we'll get, it. we'll get it to you. Okay. All right. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. Take care. Thanks, Cindy. Ladies, appreciate it. Bye. Bye.